Welcome to Hope Chapel's Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this teaching from God's Word. And we also want to invite you to join us in person at one of our worship services. Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at either 9 or 11. It is so nice to be out of the house, isn't it? And so nice to be fellowshipping together. I want to talk to you this morning. I want to just kind of give an overview, a summary, if you will, of spiritual gifts and uh, hopefully answer questions because I know sometimes this whole subject can be a little bit confusing to some. Uh, Your notes are are fairly extensive. You can just follow along with me. In addition uh, to your notes, I've supplied a uh, summary of gifts and, and how they translate into ministry. And uh, there's just a short explanation of the gifts that uh, uh, the Bible talks about. It's not exhaustive, obviously, but it gives you a good overview, a good sense of what spiritual gifts are all about and the varieties of those gifts. We're going to be talking largely out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and then some other passages, so you might want to look there. The, The verses and everything should be on the screen for you, so you should be able to follow along easily this morning. I was reminded of a, a quote from a college football coach, a number one team in the nation. I won't name him. But he was asked, what contribution does college football make to the physical fitness of America? He said, absolutely none. He said then, the college football game is happening where there are 50,000 spectators desperately needing exercise sitting in the stands watching 22 men on the field who desperately need rest. I thought, how apropos that description sometimes can be for the church. Meaning, if you recall, uh, J.I. Packer talked about the church as not a a bus with one person driving, but rather an anthill with everybody contributing. And I think we're, we're all acquainted with that. Our church is absolutely famous for... Uh, functioning in our giftedness in ministry. There's so many, so many of you involved in ministry over the years in ongoing ministry. But nonetheless, there still is often uh, a, a sense that the, uh, the work of the ministry should be left up to the paid, paid personnel, the paid staff and such. I recall at, some, at one point earlier on in, the, in the, uh, my time here that uh, I talked about this very subject and after the service, one of the men in our church brought a homeless person to me and, in a, in a sense, kind of dropped that person on my doorstep and said, here, I, this is so-and-so, and I, and, and I met them outside, and so here's, here they are for you to minister to. And I looked at this, this man, and I said, he didn't bring him to me. He brought him to you. You ministered to him. And uh, he didn't expect that response. But that was, that was really an, an encapsulated teaching on what the ministry of the body. And if somebody comes along your path, you get to minister to him. You say, well, I won't know what to do. Start doing something. Pay attention to the obvious need in their life and start ministering to him. So our time this morning, as I suggested earlier, simply dedicated to the theme of spiritual gifts and uh, the different kinds of dynamics that affect them and questions that we have regarding them. And along that, I just just want to remind us of of a thought. We talk about, you know, we've been talking about essential businesses and all these things that the government determines are essential. They keep open abortion clinics and uh, liquor stores and so forth. are churches essential? We are. We're, we're, we're probably the most essential aspect of our culture, if you will, of our society. Because what? We bring life. We bring life to people. We bring hope where there is no hope. We bring uh, just encouragement and strengthening into people's lives. We're the only ones who have God in our midst as a body and as well individually. We are incredibly essential. 
But our essentiality, if you will, if I could use that term, our essentiality is not appreciated by the culture at large, by the society at large. They don't largely see the church as, as an entity that is really, really essential to our society. Because largely the church over the, over the last generation or so has kind of laid down on the job. We become comfortable. We've bought into the, the principles of personal peace and affluence. We're all chasing down the money. We're, we want to be, we want to just don't disturb my life, personal peace. And as a result, the, the church is viewed as essentially non-essential. When in fact, if, <clears throat> if the church were functioning as God had designed it, we'd be incredibly, incredibly impactful and people would stand up and take notice. People would want to be part of what's going on. I give you an example of the first century church. People were being added daily to the number of those being saved. Why? Because things were happening. People's lives were being changed. Miracles were going on. The church was living out the reality of their calling and their giftedness. And my hope is that we as a congregation will only continue to see that happen even in our, in, our, in our limited meetings, that we still have a vision for ministry wherever we go and we do function in the gifts that God has given us. I suspect, and I think you'll agree with me, that few things can be a, a higher priority in the life of a believer than the realization of his or her gifting. In other words, where do I fit in the body? I want to know where I fit. God has created me uniquely. He's given me unique giftings and, and callings. I have a fit. And nothing makes your Christian life more meaningful, more valuable, more substantial than knowing where you fit. It it's, it's far surpasses simply coming to church and sitting and hearing someone just banter at you. It's, it's I'm involved. I have a place in this great work that God is doing. I thank God again for all those uh, of, of you who are serving, who, who know your gift is, and you've been growing in that gift, utilizing it, and serving not only the local church here, but also serving those in our culture. So if I, if I can say all that, I want to just say, what are spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? There are two different Greek words for the term spiritual gifts that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 1, he says to the Corinthians, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now the word gifts is not present in the Greek text. It really is about spiritual Things or spirituals. Gifts is implied from the context. He says, again, the word pneumaticos is the word he uses. And that means very just simply spiritual stuff, or the Holy Spirit, if you will. And that translates as spirituals, plural. In verse 4, he says, now there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit. Now he uses a different word there. He uses the word charismata, which is translated to mean spiritual gifts, referring to the nature of how the gifts are given. They're given by grace, not by merit. Is that important thought? Is that important understanding? They're given by grace, not by merit. It's not something we deserve, we earn. God knows exactly who and what he is doing. So combining those two terms, pneumaticos and charismata, a spiritual gift is a divine ability given to believers by the Holy Spirit on the basis of grace for the purpose of service. What's the purpose? Service. Remember Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, I came to what? Serve and give my life a ransom for many. We follow in his footsteps we're called to serve. Now, the gifts should glorify God and advance the cause of Christ 
in the church and as well in society. Now, how many gifts are there? Or how many gifts are made available to us? Well, if you look at the list that we have in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, you see uh, a total of uh, 26 gifts. Now, there are other gifts mingled throughout the scriptures, but all of them that I've, I've listed in that handout that I've given you, and I think you'll find it helpful. These lists are not comprehensive. We know that because when Paul writes to the Romans, he left out many of the gifts that he uh, wrote to the Corinthians about and vice versa. There are other gifts mentioned in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 31, verse 3, God tells Moses of the gifts that he had given a man by the name of Bezalel. He says in verse 3 of that passage, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship. And these gifts, I think, may be even in uh, evident, evidence today in the fields of painting, building, designing, writing, worship, or any number of gifts that have been used for the glory of God. God just gifts people for his purposes. Now, how can I tell that it's a gift from God? Well, remember the definition. For the purpose of what? Service. Service. We're oriented towards him, and we're oriented towards serving him and serving one another, and we do that through how God has particularly and uniquely and uh, powerfully gifted us. Are all Christians to function in some of the gifts listed? Are all Christians to function in some of the gifts listed? Yes, yes. For example, we are commanded in Scripture that all Christians are to do a number of things. Are all Christians to evangelize? Are all Christians to share their faith? Yes. Are all Christians to give materially, financially? Yes. Are all Christians to encourage one another? Yes. Are all Christians uh, called to help? Yes, absolutely. And so these tell us that all are to function in some of the areas that are listed as gifts. And for the sake of clarification, let me call them Christian roles. So there are specific giftings, but there are roles. And the gifts, some of those gifts can also be manifested as roles, which all of us involve ourselves in. We will, however, have an ability to excel in certain uh, areas, and these are called spiritual gifts. How many remember Billy Graham? What would you say that Billy Graham's predominant gifting was? Evangelism. Evangelism. <laughs> he, he had led, what, literally thousands and thousands of people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, simply preaching the gospel, simply preaching out of the gospels. And God had anointed him and gifted him, and people responded by the thousands. But there are, there are not those who are necessarily gifted with evangelism. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I share the gospel with people. I talk to people, and I get them nodding, yes, yes. And I say, do you want to pray to receive Jesus? No. I knew a man one time who could lead somebody to Christ in the time it took an elevator to go from, from uh, floor six to, to the ground floor. Walk in the elevator, talk to him, boom, lead him to Christ. I would just jaw, my jaw was on the ground watching that. I don't have that gift, but nonetheless, I'm still called to share the gospel. Now, some, there's some people who have confusion about gifts in terms of what exactly are they. So I want to talk to you about four things that gifts are not. Gifts are not what we said is Christian roles. These are areas in which all believers are to function. As Christians, we all have the same roles to play in serving the Lord. But we also have differing gifts given to us by God. So if, you're, if your neighbor's house is burning, you wouldn't refuse to assist that person because firefighting is not your gift. Isn't that true? 
I've actually had people tell me, I'd, I'd point, out a, point out an opportunity for ministry or, or something to do. They said, well, that's, that's not my gift. <laughs> it's still something we all should be doing. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> Another thing the gifts are not, they're not the same as our talents. Natural talents, of course, are given by God. We're told in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from the Father. These talents come from birth, and they're given to everyone to benefit mankind on a natural level, if you will. Teachers, singers, and so forth. But spiritual gifts come directly from the work of the Holy Spirit when we are born again. So my natural talents and abilities, I'm given those when I'm born. My supernatural gifts are given to me when I am born again. Does that make sense? Does a talent become a spiritual gift when one is converted? This is always confusing to people. It could, but not necessarily. So let's say you are really a, a talented teacher. Maybe you teach in high school or college, you're really talented, but you're not a believer. When you become a believer, does that talent now translate automatically into spiritual gifting? It could, but not necessarily, and generally not so. School teachers may be able to impart information or facts, but not necessarily in such a way as to inspire spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, and spiritual blessing. One may have a gift of teaching, in fact, apart from any other, any other talent of teaching. In other words, you may become a, a believer born again, all of a sudden God just, and he gives you this gift of teaching. You're going, whoa. And you begin to just step out and function that gift, and you see people begin to respond and God glorified. Thirdly, spiritual gifts are not the same as the fruit of the Spirit. For some people, there's always confusion over this point. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul describes in Galatians chapter 5. Nine qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. What are they? Read them with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's fruit. This is what God does in us as a believer as we walk in after him, as we trust in him, he begins to generate the fruit. How many have ever prayed for more patience? <laughs> you don't pray for patience. God, God makes you a patient person as you walk with him. Very often the focus is on the wrong thing. People pray, give me more love, God. God's going to give you more love simply as you walk with him. It's fruit. It's like a fruit tree. A fruit tree doesn't strain and groan to get the fruit out. It just simply shows up, doesn't it? As a, as a result of being a fruit tree. One doesn't have the gift of love. One doesn't have the gift of joy or the gift of peace. These are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and they are expected to be seen in the life of every Christian. The fruit of the Spirit evidence one's character. These are all character issues. The gifts of the Spirit evidence one's function. Note the difference. Fruit speaks of character. Giftings speak of function. Where do I function? And fourthly, spiritual gifts are not a counterfeit from Satan. And again, there's been a lot of confusion over the years about these things. Jesus said in Matthew 24, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. The context is his Olivet Discourse when he's talking about the end times. But nonetheless, we know if you're an astute Christian at all, you know that there are false prophets all over the place and people purporting to offer all this uh, good stuff to us. Moses himself, as Moses was performing miracles for God's glory, who else was performing miracles? Pharaoh's magicians right alongside. So we know that there are counterfeit, and Satan will counterfeit that which is true. 
that which is of God. The question is, how do we discern which gifts or miracles actually come from God? Question or answer is simply, do the gifts glorify Christ? The Holy Spirit came to glorify Jesus Christ and the true spiritual gifts will glorify him. Everything is done for Jesus' glory. In John chapter 16, John records Jesus saying this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Notice verse 14. The accent is really on verse 14 in that passage. He says, he, meaning the Holy Spirit, will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The whole point is the Holy Spirit's job is what? Is to point us to Jesus. Glorify him. That's what he's doing. That's what the gifts are all about. I remember one time when I was practically a brand new Christian and uh, uh, I, was, I was stunned, as a matter of fact, I, I, I started um, finding myself speaking in what I thought was gibberish. And it was just absolutely spontaneous. I had no idea what it was. I had no expectation. I wasn't trying to do anything. It was just something that one day was just rising up in me. And I just, you know how sometimes when you feel like you're going to be sick, you just clamp your jaws down? I wasn't nauseous or anything. It's just, it just something is rising up. I thought, whoa, whoa, what is that? You just try to relax and it'll pass, right? It didn't pass. I opened my mouth and out came this gibberish. And I went, what in the world is that? So I jumped out of bed. I found some knowledgeable Christians. I said, what is this? They said, you were speaking in tongues. I said, what is that? Well, the long and the short of it, I began to study. I began to understand it was a spiritual gift that God had given me. I had no idea what it was all about. But a friend of mine began to argue with me and tell me, he said, that's of the devil. And he sowed these seeds of doubt in my mind, and I thought, oh my, maybe, I don't know, how, how the devil get a hold of me? So I went back and forth for a long time about that, and finally I, had to, I made the decision one day to say, you know what, I'm going to believe by faith that this is a gift of God, and I'm supposed to use it. Then I began to study it and find out how best to utilize that gift. Obviously, Satan wants to confuse us. Obviously, he wants to get into our life, and he wants to disrupt what God is doing. So again, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Well, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul tells us, But to each one, meaning each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, what, for what? The common good. So we're here for each other. We're not here simply for ourselves. We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus as if this is a private, personal thing. We misunderstand God's purpose for us. We are here for the common good. God adds to the church daily the number who are being saved. Why? So the church might be built up, and we all get to participate in that process. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter writes this, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So I think it's really, really clear the gifts are for the common good and for serving one another. So the primary purpose is to edify, to build up others, not for our own personal edification, our own personal being built up, so that the church, the body of Christ, may be built up and Christ glorified. What if nobody functioned in their giftings? What effect, what effect would that have, do you think? We'd be dead in the water, wouldn't we? We'd be out of God's will, wouldn't we? It's imperative that we continue to understand how we're gifted. This is, as I said earlier, this should be a primary issue for every Christian in their thinking. God gives gifts simply to serve others. 
What would you think of a person who was in the ministry, vocationally, if you will, and who was entrusted with a certain amount of money to serve others and then takes that money and goes off and spends it on themselves? What would you think about that person? Would you be pleased with that person? No, no, not at all. We'd all be appalled, wouldn't we? Well, the same thing is true of spiritual giftings. When God gives us gifts, if we don't function and utilize those gifts, we're tantamount to the same kind of thing, aren't we? We are using these things and robbing the church. Remember what Malachi said, will a man rob God? (laughs) We can rob God not only in tithes and offerings, we can rob him by not utilizing the gifts he's given us for his kingdom and for his glory. For the church to work best, each one of us needs to serve in the place that God has called us to serve using our particular gifting. What if God gave us carpenters, plumbers, masons, roofers, electricians to build up the church? And we went ahead and told the plumbers to do the roofing, the electricians to upholster the furniture, the masons to plant the lawn, and the roofers to paint and lay carpet. Would that work? No, very inefficient, isn't it? Very inefficient. To be effective, each one of us in the church must be encouraged and allowed to serve using our gifting appropriately. This will happen when we do trust the Lord and walk in faith. Each member of the body of Christ has a special ministry, a special calling. God doesn't call someone to do something without first equipping that person, providing for that person uh, in a gifting to do that particular ministry. If God maybe give you a vision for something, or maybe you just have an inclination or you see something, you see the same kind of thing happening again and again, that may be a, a a, a, a trailhead to go explore to see if maybe your gifting is in that area. But he'll always equip you. You don't need to be afraid. Uh, missionary people who think they're be call, called to be mission, go out on missions, and they're afraid to do it because they don't want to eat bugs. They think they have this caricature in their mind. They're going to have to eat bugs the rest of their life. And I say to them, I said, look, if God's called you to the mission field, he'll gift you for that. He'll call you to that. He'll put that on your heart. And he will prepare you. Don't worry. Don't let these other trivial matters get in your way. Does that make sense? And if you see something, you see a need, that again may be a trailhead to go explore to see maybe you might be gifted in that area if you're unsure. Don't assume that somebody else is going to go meet that need. It may very well go unmet because God has showed it to you because he wants you to go and explore that that uh, arena. Now, how do the gifts operate? Spiritual gifts are not just for spiritual giants. How many know that? Let me give you an example of the gifts working in a simple, everyday situation. We all know and appreciate mini church, don't we? Yes. Yes. So imagine, if you will, a mini church potluck going on, and seven members of that mini church are going to represent seven different spiritual gifts. Are you with me? So the potluck starts, and someone comes in and drops the dessert on the floor. So I'm going to give you a list of seven giftings, representing seven gifted people. You tell me what you think that that person might say. Ready? The person with the gift of prophecy. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. How about the person with the gift of giving? I'll be happy to buy a new dessert. How about the person with the gift of teaching? Yeah, they'll go ahead and explain why it happened, right? How about the person with the gift of exhortation? Yeah, the person with the gift of exhortation, I think, would say something like, next time, let's serve the dessert first. How about the gift of administration? Well, that person likely would organize what? The cleanup party, right? They would assign different roles to different people. 
How about the person with the gift of helps? Let me help you clean it up. How about the person with the gift of mercy? Don't feel badly. It could have happened to any one of us. You see how simply those gifts are given evidence of in an everyday situation. So sometimes we think that the gifts are just as crazy things, when in fact, they really do function in a beautiful way as people come together to address uh, the issues that are before us. Now, let me give you seven facts concerning the distribution of spiritual gifts. Everybody has at least one gift, and that's given at salvation. Even the newest believer has one gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul writes to us, But to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Verse 11, the Spirit distributes to each one. Verse 18, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, but to each of us. And of course, 1 Peter chapter 4, each one should use whatever gift he has received. So if you are born again Christian, you have at least one gift. Now, you may have more than one gift. You may have what I describe as a gift mix. In other words, there's a primary, maybe dominant gift, and there's surrounding supportive gifts uh, that fill in the blanks. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, desire earnestly spiritual gifts, plural. So it's okay to desire more than one gift. In chapter 14, verse 13, he says, therefore let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So if you have the gift of tongues, you want to pray for the the, uh, uh, the, the accompanying gift of interpreting. So you have more than one gift. You'll not have all the gifts. Again, in chapter 12, verses 29 through 30, Paul says, all are not apostles, all are not teachers, all are not healers, and so forth. So you're not going to have all the gifts. And there are people who teach, every Christian should have all the gifts. Well, clearly Paul says that's not going to be the case. And he uses, as his illustration, the body. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4, For as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So the church is a body. It's the body of Christ. All of us are members, just like our human body has lots of different parts. And they're all essential if, they, if the body is to function in a, in a coherent manner. Isn't that true? And so the same thing is true of the church. Number four, your gift is absolutely essential to the efficient functioning of the church, the body of Christ. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 18. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So just as he's arranged all the parts of this human body the way he wants him to be, he's done the same thing in the church. Where do you fit? What part of the body are you? That's what you want to consider. Number five, each gift can be used for different ministries. In verse five of chapter 12, he says, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. One ministry is not better than the other. In each gift will have different effects. Verse 6, and there are different kinds of workings or effects, but the same God works all of them in all men. So let's say there's a person with the gift of teaching. That person may function as a mother, and she's gifted in a marvelous way to teach her children. Or that gifting may evidence itself 
in someone who works with children on a broader scale, maybe a children's church or maybe a Bible study teacher. They can affect not maybe two or three people, but 20 or 30 people. Then you have people who are gifted as pastor teachers, and they can affect a larger number of people. But the point is, it's the same gift, but it's, a, it's used in different ministries and it provides different effects. Does that make sense? And greater effect, by the way, doesn't mean that a person is more spiritual. In fact, no one is more spiritual because of their gift, their type of ministry, or the effects of their ministry because, what? The distribution of the gifts, the distribution of the ministries, the effects are all totally given by who? It's God. It's God. So we have no basis to be jealous of somebody else's ministry or the effects of their ministry or be envious of them because we know that God has gifted that person and God has called them to a particular ministry and that ministry is going to produce particular effects. Am I making sense? Very, very important. So he gives them to each one just as he determines. All God expects from us is that we be faithful. What you do with a gift speaks volumes of what you think of the gift giver. Isn't that true? We've all received gifts from people that we didn't really appreciate the gift, so we put it in the closet someplace or maybe re-gifted it. But what does that say about how what we think of the gift giver? If we really esteem the gift giver, we'll take that gift and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, display it because we think so much of that person, even though the gift may not be our cup of tea, so to speak. The same thing is true of our giftedness from God. God just wants us to be faithful, and as the more faithful we are, it gives evidence of what we really think and believe about him. Now, how long do we keep our gifts? I've been asked this question. How long do you think you keep your gifting? Probably for life. Probably for life. In fact, Paul writes in Romans 11, verse 29, he says, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Irrevocable. A gift is freely given and not meant to be taken back. God is not, what we used to say as kids, an Indian giver. Now, I have no idea what that phrase meant, but everybody used it. We would take things back. Oh, you're an Indian giver. What does that mean? I don't know. The parts of our body are meant to be permanent, aren't they? My arm is meant to be permanent. The analogy holds true, I believe, that the, the gifts are meant to be permanent in the body of Christ. And gifts, again, are given by merit or by grace? By grace. By grace. Now, some gifts take prominence over others at different times. Paul is a classic example Paul's gift, he was a gifted evangelist, a gifted missionary, a gifted apostle, a gifted pastor, teacher, and different times, different of those gifts took prominence over some of the other giftings. All you have to do is read his books, his letters, and listen to him in the book of Acts. Some gifts may be dormant against God's will. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, do not neglect the gift that was given to you. Apparently, Timothy was neglecting a pastoral or a teaching gift. Later on in 2 Timothy, Paul says, stir up the gift. Apparently, Timothy was continuing to neglect it, so Paul gets a little sterner and says, stir it up, stir it up. Now, there's four ways of abusing spiritual gifts. First is forbidding the use of, of spiritual gifts. And some people and or denominations have explained away the supernatural gifts, uh, the, the ones that are spelled out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, believing that those gifts died out when the apostles died. In other words, the apostles died away, there's no more miracles, no more healings, and that sort of thing. Uh, I don't believe that, I don't subscribe to that whatsoever. Is the church still being built up? Is there a need for the church to be still built up? Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one, of our, one of our members, David Augustine, 
has been recently going to Pakistan and uh, just preaching the gospel. Here's a guy that has no formal training. He has no seminary degrees, but he's an engineer. He builds rockets to go to the moon and so forth. But God's put on his heart to go and preach the gospels. He's been going to Pakistan, preaching the gospel and praying for people that they would be healed. Furthest thing from his mind. But he just, God put it on his heart. He started going, doing this. And he's watching people get healed. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that every spiritual gift listed in the New Testament is meant for today. I believe that with all my heart. God is still building his church. Imagine, if you would, if more and more Christians would take seriously their giftings uh, in, in prophecy, in teaching, in praying, and in, 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 in seeing people healed, just step out in faith and try it. You have no idea what would happen. I mean, you talk about the church becoming essential. You think people would stand up and take notice when things begin to happen supernaturally and powerfully because average, everyday Christians, if there is such a thing, were stepping out and ministering in their giftedness and God just moves in just because of their faithfulness. A second way to misuse them is gift projection. That means simply we admire other people. Maybe you read biographies, you read about great men and women of God who've, who served and God used them wonderfully and mightily. And you look at them and you say, oh, I want that gift. Or I want, I want to be the next Billy Graham. Or I want this gift of evangelism. While the scripture says, Paul says, desire earnestly spiritual gifts you may understand that sometimes you get let down because you're projecting on yourself that other person's gifting and or ministry when that's not where God has called you at all. Does that make sense? I've had people over the years come to me and say, I, I, I want to be a pastor. And they, they watch me over up here. They watch Andrew or Michael or any of the teaching pastors. And they, they're all enamored with the teaching and being up front and visible and such. Say, I want to be a pastor. I say, why? Well, I love people. I say, can you love people who don't love you? <laughs> That's very often the case. I've ticked off more people over the years than you can, t you can understand. But the point is, you don't desire somebody else's gifting. My response to those people is, you need to discover how you are particularly gifted. And if you're gifted as a pastor, understand that there's a huge cost that goes with that in your life. Over-specialization is another way that we can misuse the gifts. This occurs when people refuse to function in the roles that Scripture requires of every Christian at the expense of ministering in their gift. So they say, well, that's not my gift. We talked about that earlier with respect to the firefighting example. Disorderly use is another way. We read in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. We love order. We love structure. There's no real freedom without order. Isn't that true? Because without order, you have what? Chaos. Just view our city streets these past month, and the chaos has been going on. From this, we can see that when churches gather together, no one is to function their gifts in a way that unnecessarily calls attention to themselves. The congregation is to be a worshiping choir, not a group of soloists, all of us calling attention to ourselves. We fit together. There's some wrong attitudes toward gifts. First, pride, an arrogant pridefulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says this, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? If you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? There are people who can be arrogant and prideful in their roles, in their functions, and in their giftings in the church. Feeling superior. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 21 and 22, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to, seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And so we can't diminish 
uh, or feel superior over other giftings. Well, I have this gift and I view myself as more superior. No, 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 no. We're all essential. False humility. Simply being afraid to admit what your gift is. Oh, shucks, I don't know. I don't know what my gift is. Shut up. You need to acknowledge what your gifting is. We need to know how you're gifted. Feeling inferior. Again, out of chapter 12, verses 15 and 16. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. So again, we see there's no basis to feel either superior or inferior in terms of your place in the life of the church. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, an adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. This would mean that if you're simply looking for an experience or looking for excitement or looking to have your ears titillated and tickled, you're in the wrong place. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, in those last days, People will not put up with sound doctrine. They'll only want their what? Their ears tickled. And the same thing is true for people who are running after experience. And I've seen this over the years in different movements in the church. It, not necessarily in our church, but in church at large. People running after experience. There was a season when people were enamored with uh, the experience of barking. For the life of me, I could not get it, but it was, just, it was just all over the place. People would go to these massive services and they'd be barking or be falling on the floor laughing, uh, doing all these incredulous things. Uh, I could not, for the life of me, see God getting glory out of that. There were just people just chasing after experiences. I remember one time going to a, a vineyard meeting down in Anaheim and uh, some people in our church were going down there and they said, oh, you got to come. you got to come. I said, why? Well, because it's so exciting. As if our church meetings were not exciting. <laughs> it's, it's, you, we, we come together to minister to one another. We come together to hear the Lord's word. Amen? And so I did. I went down there, and everyone was doing this. And I thought, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. And, of course, all that stuff went by the wayside and died out. Number six, being discouraged if you can't discover or identify your gift. There's some people who are very discouraged and frustrated because they can't seem to identify it. Again, my response is, look for a need and go fill it. That may, in fact, be a trailhead for you to discover how you're gifted, to realize your gifting. Number seven, gift projection. We talked about that earlier, projecting someone else's gift or someone else's ministry on ourselves. And lastly, what should be our proper attitudes towards spiritual gifts? These are essential. Number one, be content. Be content with whatever gift God has given you. We human beings, in our own fleshly nature, have a hard time being content, don't we? We're always looking for the next thing. We're always looking at somebody else's thing. We're always comparing ourselves. Uh, be content. God has you right where he wants you. He's gifted you, called you, just as he wants it. So be content with what God has given you. Number two, be humble. Be humble. Remember, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Do you want to be frustrated in your Christian experience? Be prideful. Remember that these are grace gifts which are not given according to merit. It's not something we deserve not something we earned. It's simply by God's grace. Number three, be Holy Spirit filled or empowered. Function in that gift by the power of God's Spirit, not in the, your own flesh. You'll get frustrated more and more. How does one get empowered by the Holy Spirit? Stay close to him. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it. Stay close to him. Number four, have a servant's heart. Have a servant's heart. Again, you have a servant's heart by keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, who is our example. We follow in his footsteps. He came not to be served, but rather to serve. Number five, have a team attitude. 
We're all on the same team. We're all in the same family. We're all in the same body. As Paul said earlier, the eye cannot function by itself. Neither can or should a Christian function by themselves. You can't sit out here all by yourself and say, well, I don't, I, don't really, I don't really want to get involved. No, no, we need you involved. You need to be involved. Function as a member of the team, if you will. And lastly, as Pastor Andrew taught us so wonderfully last week, be motivated by what? By love. Be motivated by love. God, I love you. I love your church. That's a novel thing today. A lot of people say they love God, but they don't love his church. If you love God, you'll be loving his church. You'll be invested in his church. Amen? Shall we pray? Was this helpful? Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for every good gift you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the church and how you've made it, how you've designed it. And thank you that each one of us gets to participate in things that are absolutely significant to you and to the growth and maturity of your church. Lord, I pray that each one of us would just humble ourselves before you and recommit ourselves to your kingdom and to your will. And Lord, that we could serve you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Help us, Father, not to be distracted by the cares of this world, that we not chase after this, the double theme of personal peace and affluence, but rather we be willing to be servants, servants of you and servants in your church. Father, we pray for our society today. We pray that you would bring a new awakening to your churches and, Lord, renewal and bring revival to this land. I believe with all my heart, Father, you're turning people's hearts towards you. You're using these desperate times for people to start looking up and begin to ask questions. Lord, help us to be sensitive to those people around us and, Lord, to bring answers to them that they need to hear. Lord, we pray, too, for the chaos on our streets. We pray, God, that you'd bring us peace. And from this virus that you would, Lord, in your time, bring healing to our land and break the back of this virus. We long to gather again together. And one day, Lord, we look forward when we can. I thank you for these precious souls this morning. As we come to your table, we ask you, Lord, to search our hearts. And show us if there's any hurtful way in us, any way in which we are unfaithful or disobedient. God, you'd grant us repentance, turn our hearts back to you. And Lord, that we could confess these things and Lord, experience your grace and your kindness once again. We give you thanks. We pray in Jesus' name because you said we could. Amen. On behalf of the Hope Chapel family, we want to thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can visit www.hopechapel.org.